Well, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> Just get everything organized here. Uh, well, in the words of Bilbo Baggins, three years is far too short a time to live among such excellent and admirable Southerners. I don't know half of you half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. That had to be said, right? Um, but I've thought a lot about how to finish my, my time here at Union Chapel. And uh, as you prepare to leave a place and, and leave behind a, a people uh, that you've served alongside, you start thinking ab- about the last three years. And you think through the good times and uh, the bad times. You think through the victories and through the failures. And uh, all I can really say about my time here at Union Chapel is that I came three years ago with a full head of hair. And uh, now I leave with less than Kerry. So... <laughs> It's been stressful, right? <laughs> but if you'd like to turn your Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. We've been going through the Gospel of John together, and we've been taking massive chunks of, of that Gospel, big passages, and uh, going through some of the big themes that are in John's Gospel. Today, we're going to look at one verse and try and just squeeze out of it all the juice uh, that we can get. So Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. The words will be up on the screen as well um, in, the, in the New King James and in the NIV in the brackets there if you're following in that translation. It says in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. You're like, what's he going to do? Is he just going to smash us for this verse, for, for this final piece? Well, uh, I want to just look at three things this morning. The, the first thing is uh, the responsibility of the congregation. What's the responsibility of the congregation towards its, its leadership? And it says here, once again, obey those who uh, rule over you and be submissive, or uh, have confidence in those who are your leaders and be submissive to their authority. And so the first word we're going to look at here this morning uh, is the word obey. And uh, we think when, when you say the word obey, it means do whatever I tell you to do. But that's not quite what this word means here uh, in verse 17. It means have confidence in them. Uh, so when it says here this word obey, if you look in verse 18 of your Bibles there, so you've got Hebrews 13, 17. If you look down at verse 18, it says in the New King James, pray for us for we are confident. You see that word confident? Uh, in the NIV it is uh, we are sure. So the word confident or sure, uh, that's what this word means for obey. It's the same word. So what it means here when it says obey them is have confidence in them. It doesn't mean do everything they say as if they're the Lord of your life. It means you willingly, humbly place yourself and your confidence in them and you entrust yourself to their care as, as shepherds. To the care of your soul and the care of the local church that you're a part of. You listen to what they have to say because you believe that they are bringing it from God's word. And then you do what they say as long as it's coming from God's word. Uh, You trust that God has graciously gifted them to you and placed them there to be his under-shepherds off you. That's what the word obey here means. Entrust yourself. Have confidence in them. And this is a theme throughout the New Testament, this idea uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12 to 13. Now we ask you to acknowledge or to appreciate or respect those who work hard among you. And uh, he's talking about leadership because it continues those who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. So those who are in the leadership, who work hard, who care for you and admonish you, acknowledge them. 
And then it says, hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work, uh, which the work is on your behalf. So hold them in the highest regard in love. Uh, 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and in doctrine. So that's this word obey. Uh, it, it means to entrust yourself, have confidence uh, in, in these people. The second word we look at here is the word rule. And again, we live in the 21st century, and this, this is an unpopular word, just like the word obey. And uh, it, it's a, we live in an individualized, self-expression world, so that's not a good word to use, the word rule. But again, the word does not mean that, that they lord it over your life. It means they lead the church family in the direction that Scripture directs them to lead the church family. So they lead the church family the way Scripture would have them lead it. And the word rule here, it means to govern uh, to preside or to go before, to go in front of. So basically the, the, the leadership is meant to be saying, I'm going this direction because God's word says this, come with me uh, in that direction. It's not permission for a leader to be like a CEO of a business or a dictator of a nation. It's not like this at all. Uh, a leader in the, in the church family is someone who goes before and brings the people. And of course the illustration is of a shepherd. The shepherd leads the flock. And again some verses on this. 1 Peter 5 verse 3. The leadership are not to be lords over those entrusted to you. But they're supposed to be examples to the flock. So the leadership is to say, this is what I'm doing because the Bible says to do this. Come and do this with me. So I'm, I'm being an example. That's what it means to, to lead. And uh, again, in, in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 24, the apostle Paul, one of the apostles of the church says, we do not have dominion over your faith, but we are fellow helpers or fellow workers for your joy. So we have no dominion over you. What we're supposed to do is we're supposed to help you be more joyful in Jesus. That's, that's part of what it means to rule in the local church, the, the responsibility of the leadership. We come to the, the third word then, which is the word submit, the third unpopular word of the day. Uh, obey the rule and the word uh, to be submissive. And again, to yield, to give way, to defer, to comply, or to put yourself under. And because you've placed your confidence in them as commanded here in Scripture, entrust yourselves to them. And because you humbly recognize that they're the ones who are called of God to lead the flock, you gladly defer to them. And again, it doesn't mean you agree with everything they say. Uh, nor does it mean you can't talk to them about why you disagree. But it means you're willing to place yourself under their care and give way to them when it comes to preferences and to the direction of the church. Now before we move on here, this, this authority that leadership have, has is not unlimited authority. Okay, I don't have unlimited authority. Um, which means your obedience and your submission isn't an unlimited obedience and submission either. If a leader sins in the congregation, the Bible tells us what to do in that situation. 1 Timothy 5, verse 19 to 20. You can note that down and look at it later. If, a le if leadership sins, this is the biblical way to deal with it. 1 Timothy 5, 19, 20. And if a leader preaches heresy, Galatians 1, verse 9 tells you what to do about that. So, again, it's not, it's not unlimited authority. We're not untouchable people. We've just been called to, to lead the assembly. And the assembly's been called to entrust themselves to that care and to defer uh, to it as well. 
But this verse, Hebrews 13, verse 17, is implying the leader is doing his part. So if the leader's doing his part, this is the part of the congregation to yield and to entrust themselves. So what is the part of the leader? And uh, that's where we get to now, the, the responsibility of the pastor. And uh, I spent about three weeks, I think, working on this verse. And uh, it's, it's been deeply challenging to me, especially looking back over the last three years of my, of my time here at Union. Um, but the responsibility of the pastor, it says, because they watch out or they watch over your souls as those who must give an account. And uh, the word watch here is they're alert, they're wakeful, and they are vigilant. So what does this word watch mean? The leaders rule, as it says earlier on in the verse, by watching. Their ruling is a watching leadership. And it means that they remain alert and diligent. It's protective vigilance. And what what is it we're supposed to be protecting against? Well, we're supposed to protect against heresy. False teaching coming in, false gospels coming in. We're supposed to protect against uh, sin and temptation that's in the assembly and help us to help each of us to, to deal with sin and to deal with temptation to sin, which we all struggle with. Uh, we're supposed to protect against disunity that comes up in the church and, and help brothers and sisters be united with one another again. And we're supposed to protect against suffering and loss and trials. Not that we can stop you from suffering, but help you in your suffering to see Jesus. So that's what we're supposed to be watching uh, and protecting you from. And the next question is, uh, how do we go about this watching? How does a pastor watch? How does leadership watch? And I want to show you five things about what it means for the leaders to rule and to watch the flock that God has entrusted to them. And uh, I'm preaching to me. I'm just telling you, this is what I was supposed to... I'm basically telling you, this is what I was meant to do for the last three years. Okay, that's that's what I'm doing. Uh, So I'll be taking some extracts from Paul as he summarizes his three-year ministry to to the Ephesians in Acts 20. I'll be looking at another verse here in Hebrews 13. And uh, we'll look at some verses in Acts and Ephesians as well. And we'll just see uh, five things about what it means for a pastor to watch are the pastors, the leadership, to watch the flock. And the first thing is this. The leadership watches congregationally and individually. Uh, So there's a congregational ministry and there's an individual ministry to the members of the assembly as well. And this is found in Paul's ministry in Acts chapter 20, verse 20 and verse 31. This is what he says. You know, he's speaking to the Ephesian elders. He He lived three years amongst them. You know that I've taught you publicly. Okay, so... I taught you congregationally, is what he's saying. I, we, we all met together, uh, and I taught you all. But then look what he says next. And from what? From house to house. So I was in your homes, I was teaching you. And there was an individual ministry that I had with you and your family members. So there's a, a congregational, there's a public ministry, and then there's the individual ministry as well. For three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day. So there's this, this, this congregational ministry, there's a public ministry, and there's a house-to-house. This implies a pulpit ministry and a personal ministry. It implies Sunday gathering and also a house-to-house visitation. It implies a general sermon given out to each of you, but also specific conversations to the actual experiences of your life, which perhaps the sermon isn't able to really uh, get into. As Polycarp, Polycarp is, uh, was one of the men who studied under John the Apostle. Like he was alive at the time that John was writing John's Gospel and things. And he trained under John. He was one of John's disciples. And he wrote 
this. Let the presbyters, which is the leadership, the, the elders, the pastors, be compassionate and merciful to all. We're called to bring back those that wander, visit all the sick, and not neglecting the widow, the orphan, or the poor. So this, he's writing this like just after the Bible has been finished. And then we have another man called Ignatius, who is Polycarp, one of his best friends. He's underneath John as well, one of the followers of John. And he wrote, I mean, just after John's Gospel's finished in Revelation. He says, be watchful. He's writing to the pastors. Be watchful, just like this verse says. Possessing a sleepless spirit. Speak to, what does it say? Every man separately. A house-to-house ministry. An indiv- speak to every single person in the congregation separately. Not on Sunday, but house to house, throughout the week, day and night, as Paul. I warned you, day and night, about these things. So there's a, a speak to every man separately, as God enables you. Bear the infirmities of every one of them. Let your assembling together be frequent. So we're supposed to gather together as much as possible, but also seek after all by name. So I'm supposed to, be th- I'm supposed to preach to you congregationally, and then as I get up on Monday, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go and see dot, dot, dot. Seek after all by name. And this is like 20 years later. This is a guy who studied under John uh, the Apostle. So do you see this? Speak to every man separately. Speak after all by name. So again, the ministry is a, I have a congregational responsibility over the flock. And I have an individual responsibility over every one of the sheep. That's, that's part of my watchfulness here uh, in, in, in the gospel, in, in, this, in this passage. The second thing is I, I uh, watch you through proclamation And through living, through proclaiming and through living. And this is also in Acts chapter 20. And we've got a number of verses here and in Hebrews. Uh, So in verse 21, I have declared to Jews and to Greeks to turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus. The next verse, verse 24, the task the Lord Jesus has given me, says Paul, is to testify to the good news of God's grace. Verse 27, I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. So I preach the gospel, and I preach the, the will of God after you got saved. How, do you, how does God call us to live? Skip in verse 35, we go to Hebrews 13. Remember your leaders, these are leaders who have died by this point, who spoke the word of God to you. Okay, So the first thing we see here is there is a proclamation ministry. There is the speaking of scripture. And as we've already noted, this isn't just in the congregational setting, but it's house to house, it's day and night. But then we see in verse 35, Paul says, In everything I did, not just what I said, but what I did, I showed you, not just told you, but showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. And then going back to Hebrews 13, 7, uh, not only did they speak the word of God, but consider the outcome of their way of life. And imitate their faith. So there's an example as well that the leadership is called to set. They don't just speak the word. They live out the word. They model it to the flock. They say, this is the way. Come and walk in it with me. They say, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. They go before and then they bid the flock of God to follow them to the pastures. So that's the second thing. uh, The proclamation and living. The third thing is he is to watch himself and the flock as well. And that's in Acts chapter 20, verse 28 to 31, uh, where Paul says, keep watch over yourselves. He's talking to the leadership of the Ephesians. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock. From your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. 
Uh, the, the leadership, the leader, he must ensure that he himself and the other leaders are living a blameless life before God and man as an example of faith and conduct to the believers. But then he must also ensure uh, that they are doing that too. He must ensure that he knows what scripture teaches and that he both believes it and conforms his life to what scripture says. Then he watches the flock and look, notice what it says, all the flock, all the flock. That's the responsibility. The fourth thing we see is he watches through prayer and supplication. Prayer and supplication. And uh, we go to Ephesians 6, verse 18, uh, where Paul's talking to all the church and gives the whole church the responsibility of praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful. So we see that word watch again, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. But then we go to Acts chapter 6, verse 4, where the apostles are saying to the assembly, we're going to give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So again, we watch through prayer and supplication. He prays for all the saints, especially those who are under his care. He prays continually, specifically, and vigilantly for all under his stewardship, all those that God's entrusted to him. And then finally, the leadership watches through both doing the ministry and equipping the rest of the assembly to do the ministry as well. And that's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to verse 16, where it says this, God, or Jesus, gives some to be pastors and teachers. Why do we have pastors and teachers? For the equipping of the saints, so that the saints do the work of the ministry. So that the saints who are doing the work of the ministry will build each other up. The edifying of the body of Christ. And notice what happens when the whole assembly is built up together. We would no longer be tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. That's part of being watchful. If I teach you, if I train you, if I help you understand scripture and help you do ministry, then what will happen is we'll all be strong against heresy, not just one of us. And then it says this, every part will do its share and causing growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. If each part is doing its part, the whole body grows together in love. So according to this passage, leaders are a gift of God to the church. Their function is not to do all the work of the ministry, but to do, both do the ministry and train the rest of the congregation to do the ministry as well. Look at that last bit there, every part of the body doing its part. And one of my responsibilities is to figure out what's your part and how, how do we get you to do your part so that we'll all be served together. What this will lead to is the congregation growing together in unity and being able to defend itself against false teaching and against divisiveness as well. So to summarize, the, 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 the leader watches over the congregation from the pulpit. I watch you from the pulpit. Not like I look at all of you, but I'm watchful through the pulpit ministry. But I'm also watchful, or I'm called to be watchful over the individual and in the modern day, if that's a coffee table, or on the sofa, or in the cafe, or on the walk, or in the car, I'm called to watch you from house to house, day and night. The leaders watch through the proclamation of the true gospel, and then they watch through the daily living out of the true gospel as well, so the assembly can see them live that life. The leaders watch their own life and conduct and doctrine, and then they watch over the flock's life and conduct and doctrine. 
The leaders watch through praying and supplication for all of you, especially the flock that he's been entrusted with. And the leaders watch through doing the ministry and then training the rest of the body to do the ministry alongside them. And then it says, as those who must give an account, the word account, a, a word. The word. It's literally a word, a, a report of, of how they've served. Even though all of us will give an account for themselves to God, leaders are also responsible and give an account for those who are entrusted to their care. The people of the church are not his. They're not the leaders. They are stewarded to him. They are lent to him. He has been entrusted with them. And he must one day give an account to God of his stewardship of them. God has placed them in this role of leadership over you. You recognize that and gladly submit to that while knowing that they will stand before God for how they led. James chapter 3 verse 1. James says, my brothers... Let not many of you become teachers, teachers in this assembly, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment for our watchfulness or neglect. And in 1 Peter 5, 4, those shepherds who shepherd well, who watch well, who follow those five things that I give out here, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now, this doesn't mean that if they're being sinful, unjust, unwise, that you just have to lie back and think of England when it says obey and submit, or just grin and bear it. As already mentioned, you can lovingly confront, and there are steps to take for biblical confrontation if a leader fails to do their job. But this verse isn't about that. It's about just average pastors and leaders plodding on faithfully in the work scripture gives them to do. It's about those whose motives are to watch for your soul, knowing that they will give an account. The next thing, the final thing that we do here this morning is we're going to look at the responsibility of the congregation again because it, it continues. By the way, I, I'm not saying I've done all those five things. Like, I'm not saying, I, I, notice I didn't use the first person. Like, and I did that, and I did this. I didn't do that. I'm telling you what I was supposed to do, not what I did do, okay? The third thing then is the responsibility of the congregation. And it says, let them, this is talking to you guys about the leadership, let them, the leadership, do this, their, their ministry, with joy and not with grief. Because that would be unprofitable or of no benefit to you. The first word is joy, delight, gladness, or be an occasion of rejoicing in their lives. Let them rule and watch with happiness, gladness, and cheer. This doesn't mean they have a cheery disposition all the, th- all the time, like we're just, you know, Tigger, just walking up and down, like just loving life. And it doesn't mean that ministry is easy, but it does mean that ministry can be joyful. And this is a command from God to you to be a cause of joy in the life of your leadership. This happens as you obey God. How, how do we make it joyful? By doing the first part of the, the, the verse. By praying for them, giving, submitting, yielding, supporting. And then if you're disagreeing, which is absolutely fine, in a helpful and constructive way. This idea of joy here suggests that there is affection, trust, friendship between you and them. You are called here by the author of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to actively seek the joy of your leadership. To actively seek that. And then it says this word grief Uh, which is the word groaning or sighing or grumbling or bemoaning. This means you're not to be a cause for them finding the ministry a grievous burden. As already noted, ministry is hard, but you're not supposed to be someone who makes things difficult for the leadership. 
As this verse implies, this would be through not obeying and not submitting. Sadly, this can happen often in churches when when people don't get their own way, when they don't want to help but just receive, when they're irregular and fickle in gathering together, when criticism is the consistent reaction to the work and to decisions, when there's gossip, gossip and harsh complaint, when members' meetings become a my-will-be-done scenario, when there's purposely cutting emails and letters, when his wife and children are neglected, when he isn't treated as a human but as a machine, or worse, as an enemy. When he's not respected, when he's left unprayed for, when he isn't encouraged or thanked, and when he is shunned. The fact that the author says here, don't make it a grief, implies that there are people in congregations in that day who were making it a grief. And that's a sad reality. An under-shepherd ought to groan for the church family, not because of the church family. And then we look at the word unprofitable. And that says that would be unprofitable for you, without advantage and detrimental. You're called to gladly submit and entrust yourself, seeking their welfare and joy, knowing that having such a joyful leadership is actually a benefit to you and to the rest of the family of God. As, as Paul wrote, and I already quoted in 2 Corinthians, the leaders are called to be on the pursuit of your joy, Right, 2 Corinthians says that we're fellow helpers of your joy, but then this verse is saying you be fellow helpers of our joy as well. What a beautiful thing that could be. The congregation gladly yields authority to the pastors seeking their joy in Christ, while the pastor gladly stewards that authority to the congregation seeking their joy in Christ. Such a mutually joy-seeking and giving relationship leads to great profit and benefit for both. The church will be strengthened as they come into deeper unity of the truth and of love for one another. The church will function like a body, full of each member of the body doing their part to serve the other members. The church will function like a family of brothers and sisters, weeping and rejoicing with one another and caring for one another. The church will function like a pillar of truth, stewarding the truth of God's word and gospel together. The church will function like a bride of Christ, eagerly obeying him and loving him and waiting for him. The church will function like a light and a city on a hill, telling forth and showing forth the gospel message with lip and with life. The church will function like a choir, singing the beautiful praises of their God through their lives together in gorgeous harmony. What a happy home when the husband gladly lays down his life for his wife, nourishing her as he would himself, treating her gently and with value and dignity, and the wife trusts him and gladly submits herself to that husband in respect. What a happy home when the parents gladly lay down their lives for their children, while the children trusting them gladly submit to their parents. What a happy school when the teacher gladly sacrifices her time and skill to teach her students, while the students gladly obey and listen to their teacher's instructions. What a happy country where its monarchs and governors gladly use their positions, skill, and influence to improve the life of the citizens. A lot like, lot like England, isn't it? While the citizens gladly and trustingly yield themselves to their monarchs and governors. And what a happy church when the leaders gladly watch for the flock, pray for them, equip them, feed them, teach them, lead them, warn them, care for them, and lay down their lives for them, and the flock gladly entrust themselves to their care and follows the leadership. Why did I go here this morning? Everyone's like, what is he trying to do? Like, is this like the, just walk out and preach, tell us you haven't done a good job? Well, I just have uh, two things to say to, to come to the end um, of this message. And uh, the first thing is to say uh, thank you. 
All right? So I'm not, I didn't say you haven't done your jobs. I didn't say that. I didn't say I, and I didn't say you guys feel. I want to say thank you. Thank you for having the humility and faithfulness to God's word and being so ready to serve God and serve the church family in submitting yourself to uh, my leadership and to sit under my ministry for these three years. Thank you for trusting me and entrusting yourself to me. Uh, I came as a single man. I left behind 10 years of a church family that I love deeply. I left behind a fiancé, and I came to an unknown city and an unknown church. And not long into being here, we entered into a global pandemic, which Bible college doesn't actually train you for at all. And uh, Victoria and I went many months without seeing each other while trying to plan our wedding and our coming life together. As you can imagine, that was a very difficult experience to come down with many bouts of loneliness and grief and confusion and discouragement and perplexity in those months. But many of you poured your love onto me, and as a church family, you took me into the family as well. Many of you since then have prayed with us and for us over these years. Many of you have supported us financially when needs that only Victoria, I, and God were aware of. Many of you cared for us when we were sick. Many of you offered us words of comfort and friendship. Many of you held us when we were hurting and wept along with us through our struggles. Many of you wrote to encourage us and to thank us through our time here. Many of you have laughed with us through our joys. And many of you have celebrated with us through the good times. We have so many beautiful stories and memories to bring with us as we leave. There have been many meals, many drives, many walks, and many cups of tea. Uh, You've been supportive, you've been generous, you've been loving, you've been kind, you've been caring, and you've been encouraging. You opened your hearts to us, you opened your hands to us, and you opened your homes to us. In short, you have been to us what a church family should be to one another. But you've also followed this verse in entrusting and following. And so you've made it a joy and not a grief to be your pastor. You embrace my preaching and teaching. You embrace my leadership and my example. So as we leave, we leave a family. A family of people who did go the extra mile for us. A family of people we have grown to love. And a family of people we really do find it hard to leave. Thank you for making it an absolute joy to be one of your pastors. And the second thing is I hope. And uh, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I have a number of weaknesses. And uh, Victoria points them out all the time. And uh, generally. And I know that I'm a flawed human being. And as I reflect over the last three years, I know I haven't gotten it right. I know I've made mistakes. I know I haven't done everything perfectly. I know I haven't gotten it right 100% of the time. I know I've sinned. And I know I've offended. And I know I've hurt. And as I sit with this verse and the other passages I brought to us this morning over the last few weeks... I can see personally glaring holes in my own ministry. I can see the failures and shortcomings. I can see areas in which I didn't faithfully watch for all of your souls. And this isn't something I know gladly. And it's not something I just shrug my shoulders at and I don't really care. It's something I know and I lament over. And it's something that makes me deeply thankful for Jesus and for the gospel. But I do hope I've ruled you at least a little well leading and directing the church under the lordship of Jesus, who is the true head. I do hope I've led gently with wisdom from scripture and the Holy Spirit. I do hope I've been somewhat faithful in watching for your souls through teaching you the truth of God's word, through preaching the application of God's word in your own lives, through equipping you to serve one another better and praying for your spiritual welfare. I do hope my time amongst you has been profitable to you as individuals and as a body.
I do hope you've learned more of Jesus and his gospel and how that works out in your life. I do hope my preaching and ministry has brought you closer to Jesus and his word and to one another. This I have strived to do, so I do hope I've done it well. I've wept alongside some of you, and I've wept for some of you, and I've rejoiced alongside some of you, and rejoiced for some of you, and I've prayed for you and with you. I've looked over you as a congregation from the pulpit and from a computer screen for a long time, and I've looked across at many of you as individuals from a table, uh, or again on the sofa, or on a walk, or in a car, or a number of other ways that we were together. And as I look back over the last three years with fondness, I do hope that you're able to as well. Uh, If you personally feel unhelped by my time here at Union Chapel, then I am deeply sorry that I wasn't able to be used of God to help you. There's two solutions. Number one, as this verse says, if you didn't personally strive to let me do it with joy, then my ministry simply couldn't have been profitable for you. So ask yourself if you've sought to make it a joyful experience for me, supporting me, encouraging me, praying for me, trusting me, listening to me, and following me. And if you didn't, then I couldn't have profited you. But if you say, well, I did do that, and you still didn't profit me, Alan. Well, um, as this verse says, I will give an account to God for that failure. So in the meantime, I hope you'll be able to forgive me for that, even as Christ has forgiven you. And so my, my final words It has been a joy. I hope it's been a help. If you're not a Christian, come to know Jesus as the all-important one. Come and believe in him and his good news and be forgiven and enter into life and light. If you are a Christian, come to know more that Jesus is all-important. Continue to grow in and walk deeper into that life and light you've been brought into. Glory be to God the Father. Glory be to God the Son. Glory be to God the Spirit. Grace be with you all. Amen.